speak with us this morning. And pray for all of us, actually, not just for Dan. Pray for us as well as we receive from the word. So let's just still our hearts um, and remember that we're about to um, get into the living word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us now and that you um, speak to our hearts through the word of God. And as Dan speaks to us this morning, we pray that your word would just be like an arrow to our heart and um, that we would really hear from you this morning. We thank you again for that promise at the beginning that when we listen to you, um, that it's like feasting, it's like delighting in the richest of foods. So prepare our hearts to feast on your word this morning and I pray you to give Dan courage to bring your truth to us. Amen. Good. Good morning, everybody. Um, those of you that have been with us uh, for the last few weeks, we started a new sermon series. And we've been looking at Dane Orton's book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, Jesus' Heart for You. A really wonderful, rich book that, that, that just really reveals Christ's heart for us in a number of different ways. It really makes it real um, for us. And it's been, if you've read it, it's a really wonderful book to read. Um, but we're covering some of the stuff that he talks about in there. And what we've looked at so far is that Jesus says in one place in the Bible what his heart is. He actually uses the words that I am gentle and lowly in heart. And we saw that when he talks about being gentle, that means he's not accusatory. He doesn't stand there with a finger pointing at you. He's got a quiet spirit. He's not reactionary to the things that we do when we do things wrong. But he's also lowly. That means he's humble. And we looked at that word actually meaning that he's accessible to all No matter who you are, what you are, or what you've done, he makes himself accessible to everybody. And that's his heart. That's his innermost being of who he is. Naturally, what comes out of him is gentleness and humility. And we also saw that also in action, what that looks like is there's compassionate, there's compassion in his heart. He cannot but be compassionate to everybody. And then last week, we looked at his heart to sympathize with us because he is someone that knows better than anyone else what it is like to live here on earth and to, and, to have, uh, and to have temptation and face that. But he knows what it is to be without sin. He knew what it was to choose the right way in those moments. In those moments of weakness, he chose the right way when we choose to sin. And so he's able to um, sympathize with us. He wants to climb down into our messy state where we are in our sin and rescue us. But we also saw that he had a heart to pray for us continually. And that was beautiful. That was my takeaway from last week, was that Jesus is at this moment is praying for you right now. How does that make you feel? I thought it was uh, was mind-blowing to realize that he is applying uh, every moment. He is applying the victory that he has already won for us. He's applying it each and every moment into our lives so that we get to experience and enjoy the victory every moment of our lives over sin that he has won for us. So 
today, Vic, it's great what Vicky's been looking at because we, we're looking at what makes a good friend. What makes a good friend? And some of the stuff that you talked about there, it's, it's true. It's wonderful, isn't it? We want trustworthy friends. We want faithful friends. We want friends that are there through thick and thin. But I, I would argue that actually our view of friendship today is probably a little bit different than what Jesus talks about friendship being in the Bible, what we see in the Bible. And I don't know whether this is a man thing, but particularly for men, I think about my friends that I've known for like 35 years. We've been together since we were three or four years old, and we, we know every, every, each other very, very well. But I can probably count on one finger the amount of deep and meaningful conversations, despite trying to have them, that we've managed to have. I don't know whether that's a bloke thing or not, but deep and meaningfuls don't seem to be the thing that we're able to do. But I think I feel sometimes I can see, look at the friendships that I've had in my life, some brilliant and some not so brilliant, and actually project my view of friendship on what, um, upon friendship, sorry, and project my view of friendship and some of my experiences in friendship where I've maybe failed as a friend or people have failed me as a friend, and I can project them onto Jesus and think that he's going to let me down. But actually, hopefully what we see today is that we have the greatest friendship on offer to us that we can enjoy every single day. And so today, I hope that we are, first of all, challenged that Jesus helps us redefine friendship and have a look at what that means. But also, I want us to be excited that he wants to be your friend. He wants to be our friend. He wants us to spend time with him. And also, if you don't know Jesus yet, if you don't know him as your friend, your Lord and Savior, I want to be comforted that you can have a wonderful, wonderful friend that wants to be with you all the time, no matter what you've done. And so firstly, we're going to look at um, five things quickly today. And the first thing is that we see that Jesus uh, lays down his life for his friends. The first way we see in the Bible that he redefines friendship is that he lays down his life for his friends. And we look at John 15, chapter 12 to 15, and, and uh, sorry, John 15, verses 12 to 15, This is just before Jesus is about to be arrested, and he says this to his disciples. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. So one of the most common verbs for love in the Greek in the New Testament is philio. And it's the same verb that is used for friend. And so in the New Testament, when you see the word love, quite often it is referring to um, the, uh, one who loves. So when you read that, it's talking about the one who loves And so Jesus is saying what it means to be love and what it means to be a friend is a willingness to lay down your life for them. Now, when we talked about those things, uh, that question that Vicky asked, we didn't really mention about a willingness to go to the extent of laying down our lives. And we don't talk about friendship in life or death circumstances or situations, do we? we? We celebrate with friends. We eat with friends. We love to eat with friends. We care for one another when we're ill. We take holidays together, maybe. But our idea is not necessarily one of laying down our life for our friends. But but most importantly, not only did he say, Jesus say that he was going to do that. Most importantly, he was a friend that followed through with it. We praise him for that. He really did lay down his life for his friends. 
And so who are his friends? Well, it talks about, in this passage, about the disciples, people that know and love him are his friends. But we also see that what it talks about and what we're going to be looking at today is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And we see this in a couple of passages in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And we see in Matthew eleven sixteen to 19, when Jesus has been accused by the Pharisees of um, loads of different things, Jesus then says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what he was accused of by the Pharisees. In Luke 15, it says, The Pharisees and the teachers all muttered, of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus redefines friendship by laying down his life for his friends, but he also redefines friendship by saying, he is friends with sinners, friends with people that no one else wants to be friends with. And this is the, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of being friends with unclean people, people that, that they don't want to hang around with, people that are unclean, the tax collectors, prostitutes, people of no social standing. And Dane Ortland says this in his book, yet it is only those who recognize that they are sinners that find comfort that Jesus is indeed a friend of sinners. It is only those who recognize that they are sinners that find comfort that Jesus is indeed a friend of sinners. And that's great news. And as Vicky's already said, it is great news because we, already, we all meet the standard for that. We all meet the standard to be a friend of Jesus because we are all sinners. We all miss the mark. We all fall short of the glory of God. And yet, he wants to be our friend. But there is a warning for us. Often, even as if we're Christians, if we love Jesus, we can be like the Pharisees, the religious leaders. We can maybe think sometimes that I'm a pretty good person. I'm not that bad. I go to church. I read my Bible all the time. I'm not as bad as those tax collectors, those prostitutes, those drug dealers. But the Bible tells us that we are all sinful. All sinful. We all miss the mark. And Jesus as he answers the Pharisees, would answer us. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And we are all sick. We are all sick. Maybe you don't know Jesus, and you're sitting there thinking, I know there's something wrong. I feel guilt and shame when I do something wrong. But I don't know what to do with it. Well, can I say you're in a good place because you hit the prerequisite to be a friend of Jesus. You don't measure up. And yet, he offers a friendship that gives you eternal life, salvation and forgiveness for your sins, instead of an eternal punishment of life without him. What a friend. But I think what really stuck out to me, because I think for many that might be stuff that you think, oh, I already know that that's, that's standard, that's simple. But, but actually... What I noticed in this passage was that Jesus is a friend that sinners cannot stay away from. Look at the first bit of Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. The very people that Jesus is accused of being friends of by the Pharisees are the ones that want to draw near to him. Sick, the sinners, they want to draw near to him. Well, why is this? Why are they so desperate to be close to Jesus and hear him. 
Why can't they stay away from him? And I don't know if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we sat at tables and we looked at some different passages, didn't we, of um, encounters with Jesus. And we looked at, one of them was the, uh, the woman who washed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume. A prostitute, well, uh, a, a, well, they believe maybe a prostitute, a woman that had basically broken into a Pharisee's house, a religious leader's house, to come and um, pour herself out over Jesus and to wash um, his feet with her hair. And I just found that amazing. Why did she want to come to him? And it says this in that passage. It says, I tell you that her many sins are forgiven, so she showed great love. But the person who's forgiven only a little will love only a little. Jesus doesn't turn her away. What she's done is not too far or too messy or too depraved for him to be able to be friends with or to deal with. He doesn't condemn her, and he doesn't do that to us. We looked at the Samaritan woman at the well, a woman that was um, uh, out in the, in, in the heat of the day on her own because nobody wanted to socialize with her. Jesus is a Jew, shouldn't be socializing with Samaritans, let alone Samaritan women that have been married five times and living with a man who isn't married, uh, that she's not married to. And yet, he knows everything about her. He tells her what her situation is. He's a friend that comes to the outsider and knows everything about you. We looked at Zacchaeus, sorry, I'm going to keep going. We looked at Zacchaeus um, and the, ta- the, the tax collector up in the tree. And what does Jesus do as he passes by? He stops and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. He personally invites sinners. He personally invites you. And then I love it when he calls Matthew, um, the tax collector, to come and follow him. He throws a, Matthew throws a huge banquet. And who's there? Dozens of other tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus is with them, enjoying being with them. He is not ashamed to be with them. He's not ashamed to be with you. They know they are sick. Do we know that we are sick? If we know and love Jesus, sometimes we can forget our state. We forget that we are. Um, our, our sin is that bad. But he still wants to be a friend of ours even in the midst of that, and we get to enjoy the forgiveness that comes from coming to him and saying sorry. But he doesn't condemn. He goes to sinners. He puts them at ease. He listens to them. These are some other passages I was looking at as well. I won't give specific places, but these are things I saw that um, he brings light. He brings sin to light, and then he's quick to forgive them. He's not ashamed of slumming it with the unclean. He He wants to be with them, and he's not ashamed to slum it with us. In fact, he is a king, the Bible says he's a king. He's a king, but he's our friend. We get to be friends with the whole king of the universe. But three things that challenge me particularly from when I see um, in, the, in these passages that, that they're just coming to him and want to be around and they want to hear from him. They know they're wrong. They know they've done, they know they've done things wrong, but they just want to be here. They want to be near him. They want to spend time with him. Firstly, I want to be a friend like Jesus. I don't want to be quick to condemn. I I want to be quick to forgive. I want to go to people. I want to put people at ease. I want to listen to people better than I do. I want to be a friend like Jesus. But secondly, I was was convicted that, do I want to go and, and listen to Jesus? Do I want to go and spend time with him? These sinners were desperate to be with him and close to him to hear from him. And yet sometimes I don't have that same urgency. I get to spend time with Jesus. He wants to spend time with me. Do I spend the time that I should do with my friend? 
And then thirdly, and probably most strikingly, was that he doesn't discriminate. Yes, we are all sinners, all in need of a saviour, no matter what we've done or who we are. But, but he goes to everybody, and he particularly goes to the least in society. He goes to the overlooked, and he goes and befriends them with a welcome like no other. But I confess sometimes I can, my natural tendency isn't to do the same. He was at ease with people, no matter who they were. And sometimes I can find it difficult, depending on who I'm with. And I was convicted of this just uh, two weeks ago. There's a guy that anyone who's lived on Church Road will probably know this guy, who most mornings I'll walk past his house and he's outside with a few other people with a cigarette in his hand, a vest on no matter what day of the year it is, and a can of carling. And he's, he stops me pretty much without fail, two or three, maybe four times a week. He just says, can you pray for me, Dan, please? Normally he forgets my name and asks me my name every time, but he says Dan sometimes. And he says, can you pray for me? Pray for my anxiety. And so I pray um, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 over him. Um, Do not be anxious about anything. And then will come the bit that I dread. Will come the bit where he steps off his front porch or drive and will come and try and hug me. And I'm like, you know, have you ever done a hug where you're just like, you just stand like this and don't put your arms around. You're like, oh, my word, don't, please don't hug me. But I confess that can be my reaction. And the one thing I have been grateful for COVID has been that I can say, it's probably not appropriate this time to do this, but he now wants hugs again. COVID's over. He wants hugs again. And so I just confess. I know it's quite funny in some ways, but I confess that my heart can sometimes be, oh, no, Lord, please. But this man wants a hug. He wants prayer and I can be like, oh, really? And I can sometimes find myself praying that, could he not just bring some more people a little bit like me? You know, a little bit, got it, got it together, that I'd be willing to hug a little bit more. But I've been challenged over the last 12 months in that most of the conversations that I get to have with people, either in and around the, the, the building, I would say five to one in the favor of being what we would call the least in society. Could it be? Could it be that the harvest that the Lord has bought for us? Just may not be the harvest that we want. Clicking's good for stopping emotion. Um, so can I ask you, is there any person at the moment? that you're maybe keeping at arm's length, that might be different from you, just because it's more difficult to spend time with them, or they're, difficult, or they're different than from you. Please um, repent and receive forgiveness for that, and ask the Spirit to help us be friends like Jesus that welcome anybody. But can I also ask, are, are we excited about spending time with Jesus? Are we excited about getting to be his friend and getting to enjoy the benefits of what that means? Not, not just the benefits of, yes, we're saved. All those wonderful things, we're saved. We are destined for eternal salvation with Jesus, worshiping him, worshiping him forever. But we get to enjoy that now in part. So, we get to, uh, Jesus has redefined friendship for us. He lays down his life for his friends that are sinners, like you and me. And he goes to sinners who love to spend time with him. 
But then also, he is, and it's a simple point, but Jesus is a friend who won't let you down. Sometimes even our closest friends, we, we struggle to share our deepest thoughts and hearts with. Maybe even your spouse, it's not easy to share some things with them, and we feel embarrassed, fear judgment, all those things, even from our closest loved ones. But with Jesus, we can share our innermost parts because he already knows them. And he's not a friend that's going to go and tell other people about it. And he's not going to get embarrassed by us because he delights in us sharing with him. How often have we experienced being let down by a friend when maybe they've said something to other people or when maybe they've just um, cast you aside for a period of time? Or maybe that's something that you have done yourself. I found this really helpful when Dane Orton says this in his book. He says, in Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. He will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. This is a companion whose embrace of us does not strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean we are. It is fixed and stable. It is fixed and stable, our relationship with him. He doesn't raise his eyebrows when we tell him things that would make our friends raise their eyebrows. The Puritan, I think it's Richard Sieb, says this. He says, there is no ceiling on what he would put up with and still want to be with you. There's no ceiling on that. Dane Ortland also um, uh, uses Revelation 3, 17, 20 to, to make this point really really clear to us, and I'm just going to share it with you. It says in Revelation 3, Jesus is speaking to a group of Christians who are, as he says here, you can see it on the screen, who are um, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's quite quite some strong words to use, isn't it? But he says you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But then he says, but here I am. I stand at the door. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what will he do? I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I love this, that Jesus wants to spend time with us. He is the perfect friend. He invites us to a banquet. It's a personal invitation for us, for each of us to come to him and just be warmly present with him. You ever have those friends that you can just be with and you can, hours can go by and you don't have to say anything? It's not awkward. I hate awkward silences. But people you can just sit with and be with. That's what it's like with Jesus. He, just, he enjoys our company. He just wants our company. And he is waiting for us to accept that invitation and spend time with him. And if you don't know Jesus, there is an invitation to everybody to come and repent and receive forgiveness of sins and also to be his friend and spend time with him. If you haven't done that yet... And I urge you to think about it. It's an important one that we think about in this life. Do we accept that invitation or do we turn it down? But not only is he a friend that us, and I think that this is wonderful, is that, and it's simple, but he, Jesus is a friend who we can pursue. He wants us to pursue him. Have you ever been in a friendship where it's one way, where you're always the one that's texting or you're always the one that's phoning or you're the one that's trying to keep that relationship going? It can feel quite draining, can't it? But Jesus invites us to pursue him as well. It says this in John 15, the passage we looked at at the start. It says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, 
I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. If we have come to Jesus, he has opened up, our de- he has opened up his deepest purposes for us, for his friends. And he tells us everything. Just as we're welcomed completely by him, he opens himself completely up to us. And he gladly calls you his friends. He wants us to pursue him. He doesn't want it to be one way. And I confess, a lot of the time in my Christian life, I think it's been one way. But he has opened up his deepest purposes to you and I that he calls his friends. He wants us to know him even more. So sometimes I think when we talk about um, spending time with Jesus, getting to know him as a friend better, it can feel slightly otherly and a little bit, how do I, what does that actually look like? So just some wisdom from Piper that I found really helpful. There's a lot of wisdom from Piper, and I found John Piper. This was very helpful. Is How can we actually pursue Jesus as our friend? And he starts with saying, expand our vision of him. That's where it starts. It starts by realizing that he draws near to us in our sin and suffering, realizing that he knows our hearts and still loves us. But he also says it's through, we can cultivate friendship with Christ through communion with him. Spending time with him. That's how other friendships thrive, isn't it? Simple, like we, we, if we want to develop a friendship with someone, we just spend time with them. And, and he says this, he says, we can read, receive, and remember God's word. And, and we do this, when we do this, he is addressing us. When we read his word, it's him speaking to us as a friend. Words that are going to encourage us, words that are going to challenge us, Words that are maybe going to call us out on things. Words that are going to be helpful and loving and kind whenever we come to his word. We can thank him throughout the day. We can confess our sins daily to him. We can share our burdens with him, not as a servant, but as a friend. And then finally, through obedience, Piper says this. He says, how much we change if we knew that the one who loves us so deeply is with us so constantly? Is not his companionship itself one of the greatest deterrents to sin? See, Jesus chose you as his friend. He died for you as a friend. He caused caused you to trust in him as a friend, and he will remain your friend for the endless ages to come. What a friend we have, moment by moment, now and forever, in Jesus. Just before we respond, maybe just take 30 seconds, one minute, and just whether on your phone or if you've got a pen, it's in your head, um, if you're good at remembering things, it's just maybe one or two things that you want to take away from today. There's been quite a few things, but one thing, one or two things that you think, do you know what, I really need to... Believe this, look into this, put this into practice, or be challenged by this. And think about how are you going to pursue him through communion with him, through obedience to him, and expanding your vision to him. Let's give you a 
you have many or two and then Vicky will come out. 